everybody. Welcome to the, believe it or not, 32nd edition of the PR Master Series. I'm Art Stevens, your host. I'm also managing partner of the Stevens Group, which is a leading facilitator of mergers and acquisitions in the PR and digital interactive space. The PR Masters podcast honors living legends in our profession, individuals who have made a mark in the world of public relations. We have a very special guest today. He is Ron Culp, who has served as a corporate officer and senior vice president, public relations and government affairs at Sears. During his Sears career, Ron managed internal and external communications. He managed marketing, public relations support, state and federal government affairs, community relations, and the Sears Roebuck Foundation. My God, how did you have any time to breathe, Ron? (laughs) He (laughs) He also held similar positions at Sarah Lee, Pitney Bowes, and Eli Lilly earlier. And more recently, Ron has held top positions with such public relations firms as Ketchum and Sard Verbinen. And currently, he's brought his knowledge and wisdom to the college campus. Ron is the Director of Public Relations and Advertising Graduate Studies at DePaul University. Ron Culp is active in a variety of civic organizations, and he's been awarded many awards in the PR industry and is a lecturer and author. Ron and his wife, Sandra, fund a scholarship at their alma mater, Indiana State, as well as a scholarship within PRSSA, that's the Public Relations Student Society of America. So... With all that as accomplishments in his career, it's my privilege to welcome Ron Culp today to the PR Masters Series. And Ron, how are you today? I'm fantastic, and uh, thank you for that uh, very kind and generous introduction. And you're, you're, you're somewhere in the Midwest today. Uh, I know we were speaking before the program went on about the, the weather in your neck of the woods. I'm in beautiful southeastern Wisconsin. Uh, fleeing Chicago for uh, for a week. Great. So, Ron, you are considered, really, with all modesty aside, you are considered a legend in the public relations industry. And your contributions to corporate communications will always be part of your legacy. So tell us how your career started. How, how did it take you to one of the top rungs on the corporate ladder? Well, Art, I wish I could say it was planned, but it wasn't. Um, I have a flashback memory when you asked that question to an ambitious colleague at Eli Lilly when I first started out in in, uh, my first corporate gig. And uh, he had a five-year plan that he religiously updated every six months. And he grew increasingly frustrated and quit several jobs before finally finding a niche that was his original goal. So back to your how question, I, I guess uh, a few years ago, I, I was surprised to be asked to do an interview for a book about exemplars and dream careers. And the first thought that came to my mind when that occurred was, because uh, I thought they'd ask a similar question to this, I recalled the wise words of Colin Powell, who I had the good fortune of working with several times during my career. And General Powell said, a dream doesn't become reality through magic. It takes sweat, determination, and hard work. And, and I'd have to add a fourth element. I'd, I'd add 
my good fortune uh, of having amazing mentors and sponsors throughout my life uh, from childhood to today. And I, I not a day goes by that I don't think of um, one or more of them and, and thank them for what they did to make this career happen. So mentors are really important in one's life. And I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because uh, I think most of our uh, PR masters have described various mentors in their lives. Would you be uh, willing to to name some of the people who you feel have played uh, a tremendous influence in your life? Well, I'd have to go way back to my childhood, and there was a woman in my neighborhood named Mrs. Rich. And Mrs. Rich did some babysitting, and she helped my mother with laundry and caring for the four kids in our family. So she she was very instrumental. But one of the things that she really taught me is she had this big garden behind her house. And as she got older, she needed help. So she taught me how to garden. And all of a sudden, and it's, it's with me today, I, I can't get away from looking at a garden and wanting to go in and weed it properly to plant the, the corn properly and hills, <laughs> et cetera. And, and so – but she also taught me the value of hard work, and, and, and uh, she was such a good friend and supporter throughout my entire career. Then you go into various teachers they have in, in elementary school. I remember each and every one of them, as well as through high school, my favorites being the English teacher, Mrs. Miller. And then college, where I had the good fortune of having a couple of political science professors take me under their wings. Uh, Dr. Paul Fowler and uh, Bill Maxim. And I, I remember when I got an award at, at the Page Society uh, several years ago, I, I, I talked about the five who really had a great influence, three of whom I just mentioned, as well as then uh, the then speaker and then former uh, governor of Indiana, Otis Bowen, people who gave me advice career advice and help nurture my career and, and, and guide me. Uh, it, you know, each, each one of them, as I say, I, I, and a day goes by that I don't think of something element of what they said and how it influenced a decision that uh, I had to make. So Ron, uh, you went to Indiana state and, and we'll get to that later because it sounds like you uh, met your wife to be there since you are both alumni uh, I may correct. be wrong about that, but uh, you can correct me. Uh, but um, did you did you uh, always think about public relations as a career? Most of us, obviously, as you put it earlier, you know, come into it by accident. Um, what did you major in at, at college, and how did that steer you to public relations? Yeah, I had no idea when I went to college long ago what public relations was. As a matter of fact, it wasn't offered. So I studied political science and journalism, thinking that I would do one or the other, go into politics or become a reporter. And I think I really gravitated to wanting to be a reporter ever since I was like 10 years old and convinced the local hometown newspaper in Indiana to let me write a column called Youth Speaks. And then uh, that led to publishing a little neighborhood newspaper that I think we sold for a nickel a copy of what's going on in the neighborhood. So I, I think I had journalism in my blood and I really thought I wanted to be long-term career-wise. I wanted to be an editor of a paper. So that was kind of the trajectory 
And I started out as a newspaper reporter, the Columbus Republic, and from in, in Indiana, uh, covering politics and education. I love that job. I still look back at it as one of my favorite jobs. But the problem with journalism then and today, um, there were a few jobs and they didn't pay very well. So when uh, an opportunity to become a press secretary at almost doubling my wages uh, for a congressional candidate came along, I jumped on the campaign trail and that moved me into a career path uh, for government and, and uh, doing public relations in, in government and politics for about 10 years. So what led you to the corporate world, Ron? How did you get there? Well, speaking of mentors, I had a good mentor at uh, uh, in Indianapolis called uh, at a company called Eli Lilly, and he had his lobbyist in Albany, New York, when I was working for the assembly there, had his lobbyist uh, uh, call me, and, and we got together and liked each other a lot and became good friends. And at one point, maybe five years into uh, the relationship, uh, over dinner with my wife and, and me, he and his wife suggested, when you want to get out of politics and you know get into a real job, you want to consider corporate America. And he made the introduction, and with the help of his boss, who was in, uh, in Indianapolis, I made the move to Eli Lilly. I was actually hired to do uh, a government affairs job. But before I got there, the person who was handling media relations left and went to another company. So all of a sudden the media relations job opened and they're saying, hey, you were a newspaper reporter, that translates in corporate in jargon to media relations, so you're going to move into the media relations function. So I quickly became department head of media relations and uh, my career was, uh, was off and running. So let's, let's fast forward a little bit because I, I know that uh, one of the highlights of your career you know, was uh, at Sears, Sears Roebuck, uh, now called Sears, or at some point called Sears. Uh, yeah. How long, how long, uh, how, how did the Sears situation come about, and how long were you there? I mean, you, as I, as I mentioned in your introduction, you, you handled so many functions there. I'm surprised they didn't include, you know, chef and, uh, uh, and uh, security guard as well. Uh, but uh, how, how, how long were you at Sears, and, uh, and tell us about your career there. Yeah, I, I was at Sears for 10 amazing years, and it was the time that Sears actually was both innovative and profitable. It was that, that decade of, 19, uh, um, of the 1990s uh, where we had a charismatic, dynamic CEO who was reinventing the company. And I started out just working on the retail side of the business. And then as the corporation was split off, because back then Sears also owned Allstate and Dean Witter and a whole host of other companies. It was basically a financial services company that was um, uh, also into retailing. So eventually we spun off those divisions and created um, uh, Sears as a standalone retailer. 
which many people would debate was probably not the greatest idea, but it was for those other businesses which are thriving. So they created billions of dollars worth of uh, value to, uh, to shareholders back then. So we were reinventing the company under Arthur Martinez, who was the CEO, and he just kept, uh, to my delight, adding more responsibilities uh, uh, to me and my team because we were, we were a, good, um, uh, a good group of people that he relied on. And uh, I, like I said, I, I, I stayed, uh, he was the CEO during seven of the years that I was there. And then he uh, left the company and a new CEO came in and I remained three more. So if you look at my career, I basically shifted jobs every seven years uh, mm-hmm. with the exception of one, uh, which is shorter. But usually every seven years, I get the seven-year rich and, and plea. Uh, but in this case, I stayed um, uh, uh, 10 years before uh, deciding that I needed to move on to something else I wanted to do. I, I do have a short retention span of, of, of enthusiasm for whatever I'm doing, and I want to be challenged constantly. And so I thought the challenge of working in the agency world uh, would be uh, – uh, would be something I, I didn't want in my career without knowing more about. Was that a difficult decision for you? Because it's a different world, isn't it, from corporate to agency? Oh, heavens, yes. Uh, going from the client side, where I had a staff of 79 people and we were working with a couple of dozen agencies, uh, but because I was so involved with you know managing those agencies, I had a sense that I knew a lot more about the agency world than I did. So when I entered the agency uh, uh, world with uh, setting up the office for Sartre Binnen in uh, Chicago, uh, I thought it was, it was different than just joining another brand name agency that, that did consumer work. It was more corporate focused and they were really working on M&A and transactions with, uh, with major corporations, that it would be a different kind of uh, um, assignment that kind of took advantage of what I knew from the corporate side, but didn't, you know, stretch me into things that I really, you know, didn't uh, feel comfortable doing on, uh, in a, in like as a consumer agency. So I did that for about seven years uh, before then uh, uh, Ketchum came along and gave me an opportunity to run their Chicago office as well as service their head of their North American corporate practice. So what do you, what do you feel is the the major difference between working on the corporate side and the agency side? Um, well, I had an executive assistant who uh, made my life a lot easier on the corporate side, <laughs> and and in the agency world, uh, I was back to learning how to make the copier work, uh, how to change toner, uh, and it it was kind of like back to the beginning in my career of needing to know something about everything. And so I actually found it exhilarating uh, in getting back to the back to the scene. Matter of fact, I'd surprised the interns. The interns had this little pool area outside my office, and an intern, uh, if they weren't in that day, I'd go sit in one of the intern desks for a while. And they were all suspect at first, and then they thought it was pretty cool. But I really wanted to know what was going on, and so I would I'd spend a lot of time talking with with the uh, the staff and. And uh, I, I felt that it was much like the corporate uh, assignment in the fact that I had to build 
a good team and that you had to spend time uh, developing talent and and motivating them to do great jobs so and and keeping the client happy i'd think back to with my you know with my corporate hat on you know what would i have expected from my agency and so i kept trying to anticipate and delivering against that expectation Ron, you know, given the world we live in now, which is uh, the world of uh, of, uh, of uh, the pandemic and uh, a whole change in the way we live, uh, can you think of any crises that were um, in, in, in some way or another similar to what we're going through now that you might have uh, had to deal with either at the, uh, uh, the, the, the prior corporations that you worked with, uh, for, Sears, Lilly, Pitney Bowes, by the way? Uh, uh, any crises that came up that you know that uh, that you believe prepared you to understand what, what we're dealing with now? Each and every one of my jobs had uh, significant crises at some point. Some of them were ongoing, like constant, such as Lilly. And when you're in the pharmaceutical industry, there's always a crisis. And at Sears, there seemed to be a daily one, uh, and some that that uh, were beyond uh, belief that stupid things happened. Uh, in uh, in the world, but nothing would even come close to comparing with what we're currently facing with uh, a coronavirus and a pandemic. Uh, I, I do think back to probably defining a crisis in my career that set the stage for my uh, uh, future work in, in other corporate jobs and, and in what intrigued companies that were facing crises would have been an arthritis drug that we launched at Eli Lilly. It was the very first drug launched through public relations in the United States. Mm. It was called Oriflex. Binoxaprofen was the generic name. And we launched it with such fanfare. It was an amazing drug. I mean, I saw and witnessed personally how it helped people who had severe arthritis a photographer who could no longer shoot photographs because his fingers were locked up. He was spent most of the day in bed. That photographer came to the press event to photograph and he was kneeling and he was climbing on ladders and he shot the photographs. We had a woman who was a gardener that had to give up gardening because she couldn't get up once she got down and she was, she was fine. I mean, this was, this was truly an amazingly effective drug. Problem being, it was launched in April and going into the summer, and one of the side effects was a phototoxicity. If you're in the sun, you're going to have side effects. And the side effects range from your fingernails falling off to, unfortunately, death. So people started dying from the drug, and all hell broke loose. We had uh, not only media scrutiny, but we had congressional hearings, we had FDA hearings, and it was 24-7 crisis management for many months. Uh, matter of fact, I'll, what, one memory that comes back to, uh, to, to life that my wife will remind me of is we were in the uh, labor and delivery room with our first son, waiting for him to, to join us. 
and the, a nurse came in almost panicked and said, excuse me, but your boss is on the phone and he said it's urgent that you call back this reporter from Athens, Greece. Mm. And I thought, it, my, my wife, I think, indicated that if she could have, she'd have clawed his eyes out if he uh, were present. So fortunately he wasn't. And I left, and again, pre-cell phones, um, I went to the pay phone in the lobby and called back the reporter and uh, dealt with the uh, the drug recall at that point. Uh, it was uh, uh, it, it was an amazingly uh, complex, difficult time. But as a result of it, and the fact that the staff managed it so well, um, it, it became kind of a talking point that told people in future jobs that I had the good fortune of having that you know he'll keep his cool and handle crises well. And so I always then started to come in as the media relations person at my other jobs, figuring that crisis would be part of the mix. So what did you learn about managing a crisis? Obviously, uh, uh, um, you know, you indicated that you had to deal with a number of them uh, during the course of your career. Uh, and I, I presume as each one took place, you learned something more about dealing with a, a crisis and fine-tuned you know, your management of them. What do you believe you learn, and what, what advice can you pass on to others out there who are dealing with crises and, and perhaps don't have as much experience at it as, as you did? Yeah, I'd say that it's very important, uh, although it's tempting, because some managers who've never had a problem uh, uh, that rises to a crisis level um, don't want to necessarily be as transparent as they should be. And I found that transparency during a crisis is critical. If you know something, if you know an answer, you better share it because it's going to come out. So making sure that you speak truth to, to power, to management, and getting them to understand why talking and discussing your situation is better than a no comment. And that was not easy because you'll see if you look through the literature, I I never used the words to my knowledge, no comment, but if you read some of the things I said, it was essentially no comment. You have to, you have to, you know, get the media to understand where you're coming from and that the minute I have more information and then, and then surprise them by actually calling them and saying, you know, you asked this question last week, I finally have an answer for you. And sometimes they use it and it becomes another news story and they thank you forever for being that open. So I think that telling the truth is important, being as open as possible, and then keeping a sense of humor in the fact that don't take this personally. You know, it's really a shame that this happened, but uh, I, I really didn't have anything to do with it, and I'm not going to um, become, you know, tied up in emotion that, that I get angry at people and myself and others. Um, I'm not happy necessarily that I wasn't given all the information I might have needed at the time. But, um, and, then, and then back to the sense of humor. I, mean, I, I think that the staff, and, and I mean this in not ho-ho laughing sense of humor, but giving management especially and your team the confidence that you have it under control. And they'll say, you know, you're so cool, calm and collected. 
under this, you know, this horrible situation. And little did I know, you know, I was, I, I, I had to take uh, uh, rolls of Rolaids and, and Tums on a daily basis to settle my uh, insides. But if you, you have to project the, and give confidence that you have the situation uh, uh, under control. The minute someone finds out or figures out that that uh, you're you're overly stressed because of something, uh, they stop uh, listening to you and they stop taking your guidance. Did you have to uh, uh, strong arm the CEOs you uh, reported to uh, in terms of uh, uh, decisions they thought should be made regarding handling crises and you you uh, knowing better? I would I would say back to the Lily situation. I I I I think that the CEO who was very quiet and, and, and having never really worked up, uh, in in promoting any product through public relations, bringing uh, him along to the fact that we have to be more open and and no comments not going to fly because we're going to have to have a comment even if it's next week in the congressional hearing. Let's just be open. That that was more um, uh, required more attention than I, I think each one of my CEOs after that, especially Martinez and Sears, uh, they they were. Especially Martinez was totally into communication. Let's do it effectively. What's required to get out in front of the issues, and we had many of them, rather than uh, let it build. Uh, and, and so I'm I'm glad I ended my corporate career on that high note with with that experience with him. Unfortunately, he was he was replaced by a CEO who was not as forthcoming. Came out of the financial area, and everything was how is this going to affect the market and and, and uh, what are the financial implications? Um, but even he would listen to us, uh, and and when we wanted to do and make change or or do something, especially in the area of internal communications, he gave us carte blanche. Uh, but uh, Back to, to Martinez was a very special person. Even to this day, uh, I, I was on a Zoom call with him and and his other report directs, uh, several of them last week. And it's it's somebody who who had such an impact on your career that you need to stay in touch, even though it's been many years since we worked together. Mm, it's interesting. Yeah. So Ron, you, you you're you've always been active in many uh, public relations. Uh, professional uh, organizations and associations. And, uh, um, you know, you obviously continue to rub elbows with your colleagues and peers who uh, are corporate communications officers at various uh, uh, major corporations. Uh, do CCOs still currently uh, lament the fact that they don't have as close a uh, a position at the table with the uh, CEO, uh, and that and uh, the role of corporate communications is not what they hoped it would be. Is that still a current uh, uh, complaint that uh, your colleagues uh, have? Thank God it's not. It, there's still elements of it where uh, I'll hear from somebody who, like my CEO just doesn't get it or, you know, my hands are tied or I can't do something. 
And I usually say you should do due diligence going into the situation and when you interview the CEO or your boss, you need to determine that. And I encourage people not to take jobs based on the fact that you will not change a CEO that is not inclined to wanting good stakeholder communications. The minute the minute you hear some buzzwords like, uh, or you look through the literature and if everything the company has been saying is no comment, you're not going to be so persuasive to get them to start commenting. So, but over the past, you know, we, we used to hear for, for years and years that I was having good experiences. I'd hear from my, my uh, counterparts talking about not having a seat at the table. Public relations today is squarely in the middle of that table. If you are doing your job and you have the confidence of senior management, you are going to be invited to everything and you're going to probably be the point person for every major event happening in that company is going to somehow touch on communications. It's a terribly exciting time. Uh, didn't happen 40 years ago, 30 years ago, 20 years ago. This is fairly recent uh, development, uh, thanks to financial crises and other crises that have come along, and the fact that chief communications officers are better trained, they're better mentored than than in the past, and that rather than just a few real exemplars in the profession, we have lots of great talent in the profession today, and the bench looks even more exciting. Does this also mean that the uh, the, the mindset of uh, of contemporary CEOs has also changed? That they truly understand the need for the skills and capabilities of of a, of a top level uh, CCO? Yes, that is a large factor. And as a matter of fact, a lot of CEOs will say, "I want to do what so and so." They CCOs love doing what other CEOs have done successfully. So, uh, and I recall being asked by one of my uh, uh, former CEOs that why does he get all this great press? And I said, well, he does press tours. He has media come in. He does Dow Jones interviews. He does, you know, he, he invites the press in not when he's a problem and not, he, he's, I just want to have a, a conversation with you. So we'd go off, we'd have a, a, a dinner or a lunch with the, the CEO and, and select reporters. So all of a sudden, when something did happen, uh, he had a higher comfort level with, um, uh, with the media and doing communications. So when, when they see what success others are having, they want it. And then also, the boards of directors today and shareholders are demanding more of this transparency. So effective communications has to be out in front of every major initiative that any company is pursuing. So that, that leads me to my next uh, question, Ron, and, and that is, this is a catch-all question, and that is uh, the overall state of the public relations profession today. You know, you, you have had a wonderful career, and it's still obviously going on, uh, you, you now teach what you have preached, uh, and, and I'm a poem and I don't know it. Uh, but um, do you think that public relations has 
gained in stature as the years have gone by. I mean, early in the game, certainly when I entered the public relations uh, uh, industry as a young Turk, um, a lot of people didn't know what public relations is, and uh, um, I didn't know what public relations was. <laughs> and uh, where is it now, uh, Ron, compared to uh, where it's been? What, what's your f- sense of that? Well, I haven't heard a reporter refer to any PR person uh, in the past five years, maybe in the past three years, uh, as a flack. Um, there, there are fewer reporters who have to now rely on public relations uh, staff to help them do their jobs. And they're finding out in so doing that there is an honesty, a sharing of information, and a trust factor like I haven't seen uh, since, you know, those, those little, those little uh, glimmers of promise that I've had throughout my career where you talk to a reporter, they get it, and the story's right. Um, no reporter wants to write a bad story. Uh, that's later criticized. So they're finding that working with PR uh, uh, professionals. Now, the PR profession still suffers from, you know, cold calls to media that, you know, maybe you're, you're calling a paper or a publication uh, that doesn't really cover that industry. And the reporters say, oh, my God, I hate PR people. But they really don't. They rely on it, public relations uh, executives and and staff throughout the country uh, have an enormous role to play. I think it's the biggest um, uh, responsibility of the function is to make sure they share uh, accurate information. Uh, They're truthful, they're responsive to um, uh, their their various stakeholders. And I'm very bullish on public relations. Um, I, I know that some people will still refer to PR uh, in a negative uh, tone, and I'm the first one to send a note to um, a, a television outlet or whatever if a reporter, you know, is saying, you know, saying something negative about PR that I know is an anomaly. Uh, and I don't like PR people who are credited for being PR people who aren't, uh, and that that you know, they, they will create a negative impression as I think currently not to get into politics, but the, the press secretaries for the white house have not necessarily been uh, adhering to good public relations practices. So when I see them recognized as, as uh, PR um, executives, I, I kind of uh, cringe. Ron, what are you seeing on the college uh, campus? Uh, you know, you've gone from obviously from corporate uh, to uh, agency, and now, of course, you, you know you head a program at uh, at DePaul. Uh, what are you seeing on the college level with respect to interest in public relations as a career? Uh, and do you think that this has uh, grown uh, in some way? You know, in the past 20, 30 years, uh, when public relations courses were not as prevalent on the college campus as they are today. Yeah, college PR programs have have just continued to grow. I think most major universities with uh, PR programs uh, would say that that the growth continues to be. As a matter of fact, we used to be the second largest uh, 
degree program in, in our college, and it's now taken over in the first position as far as number of incoming students who are enrolled. So the interest is there. I think that uh, people are hearing more about the opportunities uh, in public relations, and uh, they're, they're coming in. And the other thing that I find about the students in the program, they're, they're really engaging in, I, I want to do this well. And I want to also use my public relations skills to kind of serve a bigger purpose in my life and career. And I see how public relations can help, you know, advance that goal. So I, I think the academic programs are, are uh, uh, amazing. I think that uh, I obviously gravitate towards programs that offer hands-on and real-world experiences, and which is made very easy at DePaul because, you know, our campus is located in the middle of Chicago, where uh, within 10 blocks of, of um, our classrooms, there are 110 agencies. So our students aren't wow. having trouble finding jobs. They, there's absolutely surrounded. There's another 300 agencies in the rest of the county. So it, it, it really, it, it, it provides opportunities where these students are getting hands-on experiences as interns and freelancers and part-time workers while they're in college that I, I only uh, would have wished I could have done when I was uh, uh, land-bound in Terre Haute, Indiana. <laughs> so let, let's talk about the, uh, the coronavirus uh, uh, pandemic. Um, Obviously, it pervades our lives today. It's something none of us have uh, ever uh, would it, could have ever anticipated uh, and uh, and lived through. Um, do you have any views about how this crisis is uh, handled uh, or being handled rather uh, currently uh, across the board, uh, given you know given the the, uh, the, the rate of uh, acceleration that it's uh, it's been taking? Um, do you have your views as to, you know, I don't know how political you'd like to get, but uh, it's your choice. Uh, but do you have any views about how this particular crisis is being handled on a variety of levels, given the fact that, you know, you have dealt with many crises in your career yourself? Yeah, I, I try to advise students to uh, not get overtly political um, during this stage of their life and career. But now I'm at that point that um, I often uh, say things that maybe I shouldn't. So I'll, I'll step back maybe and, and uh, lay it off on, you know, the Page Society has a set of seven principles. And all seven of those principles are missing from the current communications coming out of the White House, beginning with principle number one, to tell the truth. And it is a daily occurrence that I think does great damage to not only society, but to our profession, to have spokespeople confirming things that are not, I used to say entirely accurate, now I just say not accurate. Um, and so I think that uh, there, is, there is some frustration. I know it's very difficult, you know, to... Uh, I, I, I would have lasted maybe 30 minutes in this White House um, shortly after the introduction, I'm sure. Um, but <laughs> it, is, it is really difficult 
to to lead a country when the communications is so uh, misguided. And and then as a result, it's, it's so unbelievable that the other side gets even more bitter and vocal, and then there goes the rift, and we have these this polarization that uh, is just ripping us apart. And I know the vast middle of us wants something uh, there rather than at the extremes, but the extremes currently are just uh, making a lot of people turn off the news, and but also uh, the vast majority of people really concerned about the future of this country. So, Ron, um, switching to the lighter side of the news. <laughs> uh, uh, please. <laughs> you volunteer a lot of your time to organizations and causes, including the Page Society, of which, of which I'm a member, and I think that's where you and I used to run into each mm-hmm. other. Um, yep. How do you find time to do it, you know, and uh, why do you feel it's important to you? My wife um, would say here, here to that question and uh, scratching her head in amazement that somehow I make it happen. But you just have to make the time, you know, and now I know it's easier said than done. Uh, and I look back and feel how, how really fortunate I was to work for four major corporations that it was like in the soul of the company that they encouraged and supported active community engagement by employees. So having those experiences, and I, and I used to in, in corporations, I'd never said no. I mean, I was, I was volunteering. I was on way too many boards. I went to the board meetings, and um, uh, I wrote checks, both personal and corporate. Uh, and it, it just, it just it, I, I saw the importance of, of what was lacking elsewhere in society that, that these organizations were able to fulfill that I, I just became uh, a, a total uh, advocate of the role that public relations people and everyone should play in helping uh, organizations that, that have a, a, a mission that is really out to help people and, and society. So, Ron, a few, a few final questions, and I, I really thank you for your time today. First of all, a question that I uh, said earlier that I'd get back to. Uh, Stevens never forgets. <laughs> how, how did you meet your wife, Sandra? Oh, yes. Um, I had just become the student newspaper editor of the Indiana Statesman at Indiana State, and um, I had to recruit a staff. And sitting next to me was this uh, dynamic young woman who um, was a journalism major. Matter of fact, she was the first journalism major in the first journalism program created in Indiana State. So, and I was only a minor, so I couldn't figure out how she pulled that off. But so she's sitting next to me, and I ask her if uh, that I've just been named editor, and um, would she consider coming over and being a reporter? And she said, I wouldn't work for that rag. And I said, Oh no, no, we, we're going to turn it into a really great newspaper. And it's published twice a week, and we're going to make it a daily, and we're having all these great plans. And I'll give you the best assignment. We just have a new mayor who, who is really crazy uh, in town, and I'll have you interview the mayor. 
And so she thought that was a pretty good assignment. She did a phenomenal page one story. And um, next thing you know, she becomes the managing editor. And dating the other managing editor, <laughs> um, who then at one point said, you know, I think she'd really like to have a date with you. And uh, so I ask her out. She sometimes will argue that she asked me out. Uh, and uh, that was uh, 53 years ago. Oh, my. Oh, my. Wonderful. Congratulations. So two final questions, Ron. And uh, the first one is, how do you want to be remembered? Oh. Well, you know, there's a big pause here because I feel like I'm writing my obituary, maybe. Um, I, I have to say that I, I want to be remembered as somebody who is deeply passionate about the critical business role of public relations and someone who helped uh, develop future leaders of the profession, which I feel happened during my career. Uh, I stay in touch with, with uh, young people and staff members that I've had uh, throughout all of those jobs. Matter of fact, the, the Sears groups has a Facebook page just for the PR people during my 10 years there. And we, um, we had an alumni event recently. It's, it's very exciting. And to, to know that these people all in successful careers today um, work together on the same cause and mission back then is pretty exciting. So I think, you know, it's a combination of, of um, you know, how, how you build teams, you build great teams, and that they go off to do the same. Uh, it's, it's one of the true joys of what I'm doing. That's wonderful. So my final question, so that this does not in any way sound like an, an like an obit, <laughs> uh, is, <laughs> where, where do you see Ron Culp in the years ahead? And uh, oh. obviously uh, you will have many years ahead. Well, despite my checkered LinkedIn profile, um, I hope to continue, <laughs> uh, doing something, uh, that, uh, that probably, you know, continues on the, the idea of mentoring future PR talent. You know, I, I have a career blog, uh, Culprit, which I've been doing for 11 years, and I would probably spend a little bit more time working on it. Uh, I, I managed to get at least a, a post up every week. It takes a lot of time and effort, but the feedback I get from readers and young people, some of whom I meet years later that say that, uh, uh, it, it, something said in it, uh, helped them in their careers. So I think that's kind of where my focus is going to be. And I'll probably, uh, do more volunteering with, uh, more hands-on organizations. When I was in Phoenix, uh, last winter, uh, for a couple of months, I, I volunteered at a, uh, at a food distribution center for a food bank and, uh, talk about frontline of where it's happening and doing important work. Uh, I was totally inspired. So when I go back to Phoenix in the uh, next winter, uh, I've, I've already said I want to I want to do something, and I don't necessarily want to get the assignment being the PR person. I mean, I want to I want to just uh, uh, help help them uh, do important things for the community. Well, well, Ron Culp. You have been magnificent today. Um, you have been one of my heroes in the public relations uh, oh. profession. 
and it is people like you who have uh, really been an inspiration to me and literally hundreds and hundreds of others out there uh, who uh, have followed your career and have seen you rise to the top of our uh, profession and have has made it help make it a noble profession for all of us. So thank you for being here today, Ron. I really, really appreciate it. Well, the feeling is mutual art, and thanks for all you do. This series is terrific, and I hope my wife will listen to this podcast to the end. <laughs> well, she better. We're doing it for her. <laughs> okay, thank you. <laughs> so I thank you for joining us today and sharing your views, Ron. Thank you. Have, thank a, you have all. a good day. Oh, you too, Ron. And thank you all for tuning in to another of the Stevens Group PR Masters podcast series. Until next time, I'm Art Stevens, wishing you all the very best. Music.